Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a monthly gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. And I'm Clint Jones. And today, we're talking about Super Mario Odyssey, developed and published by Nintendo, uh, released in October of 2017 for the Nintendo Switch. And I have played quite a bit of this game. I played it right when it came out, and uh, Josh and Clint, I understand you both have been playing it recently as well. That's right. Now, a quick question, since you played it right when it came out. When did the Switch come out? Was this like a flagship title for that? Switch was spring of 17, and this was a few months later in the following fall, right? I remember the system launched in, like spring of 17 with breath of the wild yep and then this was the big game like on the radar later on that was sort of going to solidify the switch uh as you know having the flagship mario and zelda that you really need to play and i feel like this title accomplished that yep yeah absolutely the game was very fun to play had a lot of interesting ideas a departure from Mario games, or at least the ones I've played, and a couple of ways it will get into, but enjoyable experience for sure. Yeah, for me, this felt like the old school Mario that I was used to, so I didn't have a Super Nintendo growing up. I started on Super Mario 64, and this was super reminiscent of that, which was pretty cool. I totally agree with that. I think the the games that they had been putting out in the years prior to Odyssey, the Super Mario 3D Worlds and Lands, uh, stuck to a bit more of a linear trend. Uh, they even, in a lot of cases, went back to uh, 2D or 3D isometric views, whereas this uh, harkened back to what you'd see in, say, Super Mario 64 or the subsequent um, Super Mario. There's Sunshine and Galaxy, right? Those are the other two 3D games? I guess they had two Galaxy games, right? Yeah, Galaxy 2. And and this definitely, like you said, Clint, felt the most to me like um, Super Mario 64, uh, except maybe just sort of blown out a bit more. And really, it almost felt like every world was sort of like the hub unto itself and then sort of spiraled out into many more linear challenges within it. Yeah, there's a lot going on. If I remember correctly, so... Again, just to compare it to Super Mario 64, I didn't play Galaxy or Sunshine, so I kind of missed those, but what was there? There's like 120 stars in Super Mario 64. How many are there in this game? It's like an absurd number. Yeah, so the the game contains 830 yeah. moons. It's it's moons this time, guys. So big. You know, who <laughs> yeah. says who says Nintendo never innovates? There you go. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, again in this game, unlike prior games, which you know for the stars in 64 or even in Galaxy, when you got it, it would send you back to the beginning of the level. This one, you sort of stay in the world and you're able to continue on from there, and it's just sort of more of a free form playground, and it gave the player sort of encouragement to just keep exploring the space rather than beeline for a specific goal. Yeah, it's not like one and done. But yeah, there's just a lot more going on and there's just, again, I don't think the challenges were as big as the stars were in the old games, but that was fine. It's like little bite-sized challenges, which again, we've talked about this and how that works great with other titles for the Switch, but that encompasses what the Switch is about. You pick it up, you play through a couple moons, you put it down, you pick it up and you can do a couple more later and there's no big deal. Like, it just, it works with the system. Totally. It's not as much of a commitment, yeah. The super interesting thing about there being that 830 moon total is how they actually divide that into what you actually need to progress in the game, right? Like, you you need 150 moons to win, quote-unquote, right, to get to the credits of this game and beat Bowser. It's only 150 moons. Another... 350 moons later at 500 you get the quote-unquote real ending with the darker side of the moon and then even after that there's another 330 that are just there 
you know? You gotta get, you gotta get that gold balloon, because that's totally worth the extra 50 hours you spent hunting every last one of those down. <laughs> that's, that's right. I, I ended this game with 560, and the last, like, maybe 10 of those I got this afternoon while just sort of refreshing myself on the game. So they're still, like, coming at a pretty good clip, even at, like, 550 plus, which goes to show, like, there's a high density of these things in the, you know, 14 or so worlds they have in this game. Yeah, I only made it, I'm looking right now, I got to 294. And I spent quite a bit of time, and I got to the dark side of the moon, not the darker side. Speaking of that, did you actually beat the dark or darker side? No, I didn't. And I think this goes to to show, like, Nintendo's got this interesting thing with the difficulty of their mainline series right now, where, like, you can get through the main quest, quote-unquote, like that 150 moon challenge, with relatively little effort. Like, they make it pretty accessible to, to close that out. And then the post-game is where the actual real challenges come in. Like, they populate all the levels with a bunch more moons, and they are universally more challenging than the initial moons that were populated on that level. So... They they really like want you to get the the experience first and then challenge later. I've got some disagreements there, but I think looking back at the history, Nintendo's always done a very good job of choosing your having the players choose their own difficulty inside of a level. Like even back in Super Mario World, if you wanted to get like all the dragon coins on each level, you'd have to go through much more difficult platforming challenges as opposed to just trying to get through it. Yeah, I like how Nintendo remains accessible but still uh, caters to the the hardcore gamer. Like, a 10-year-old could get up and, and play this game if they wanted to. Th- their first foray into a video game, no big deal. But also, the guy that's been playing for 20 years, Mario, since the first game, he's got something here too. Speaking of which, i got to give a shout-out. So, the kids next door, Connor and Alexander, we talk about video games all the time. Ever since they found out that I did a podcast about video games, they every time I go over there, uh, they ask me questions about how to beat things on games. Um, and they've been playing Super Mario, and they, they told me the other when I told them we were doing the podcast, they said they were going to try to beat the darker side of the moon. And they did it. I thought they I thought they were like, Whoa. I thought maybe they just did the dark side, but I went over and talked to them about it. Like, no, they actually beat the darker side of the moon. I can't believe it. These kids wow. are allowed to play like a half hour a day or something like that. So they must have been working on this forever. Oh, crap. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing itself is like a 15 minute non-checkpointed yeah. like death gauntlet. <laughs> it is extremely difficult. And like, wow, kudos to them. Like we got some future uh, MLG guys on our hands here. I think so. I, I, I didn't even get through the, I could have probably got through the dark side if I'd have put my effort into it, but it was frustrating. Even that part was frustrating for me. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the thing they did to like beef up the challenge in dark side and darker side is the thing I hate when people <laughs> do to increase difficulty is remove checkpointing. Yep. And yeah, I, like don't punish me by making me do stuff over and over again, please. But you know, that's, it's a very small sliver of the game and I still still feel like I got a ton of enjoyment out of this, even without uh, needing to expose myself to endgame content. Before we get too deep into the details about uh, the ins and outs of the, the worlds of this game, let's set up the high level stakes here. Uh, as usual, this is a Mario goes after Bowser to save Princess Peach story. Tell me where you've heard this one before. Um, the, the wrinkle here is that Bowser steals Peach to take her to uh, get married, to, to go have a big wedding. And Mario, uh, in pursuit, falls down to Bonneton in the Cap Kingdom. Uh, you know, starting off with a very high-level theme of this game, which is 
Hats. Hats. Hats <laughs> everywhere. Hats for everyone. I was very charmed by the number and frequency of hats in this game. That's right. So you're you're immediately, you know, hot on Bowser's tail. You're acquiring new hats. And one of the main things that um, this game adds in terms of hats is the cap throw mechanic or the hat throw mechanic. And you use that for a lot of different things. But I think the first thing you realize it's there for is an aid with traversal. Um, you can throw your hat out, jump on it, bounce on it, and you basically get an extra jump after that. And there's all kinds of interesting things you could do with this new mechanic. Yeah, the other one, I believe, you throw your hat at something and then you almost like take charge of it. Like if you throw it at a frog, you become that frog and you get the frog's move set for a couple minutes. Or with a T-Rex or with whatever, you can find in the environment. And that adds some interesting gameplay elements. If there's like a signature move in Super Mario Odyssey, it is the, the capture mechanic. And they use... Um, the various things you can capture, like you said, Clint, with the T-Rex or things like that, as a way to add either new traversal mechanics, like um, with the octopi that you could jet around, or the jacksy that's sort of like a really fast-moving capture that you can use in the Desert Kingdom, but also uh, allows you to use puzzle mechanics, like the Moai, that allows you to see invisible platforms. Yeah, this was... Um... One of the major ways that new levels introduced new mechanics. It wasn't necessarily like, oh, this forest world has a certain type of platforms, although we did see that as well. Um, but a lot of it was, this world has these enemies, and when you take them over, you can use these abilities they have. Yeah, it kept everything super fresh, I felt like. It did. It, it, it was really interesting because they had so many different mechanics like this. And like you said, Josh, they're almost universally exclusive to the level that they're in. Um, and Nintendo is perfectly comfortable serving up this delicious and awesome new mechanic and then just abandoning it wholesale when they move on to the next level. And it serves to keep it fresh, but it's also like really daring. Like they put a lot of work into some of these things and it surprised me that they just, you know, casually got rid of them after each individual level. Yeah, but when you were talking earlier about the depth of each level, each level was almost its own previous Mario game. You could do surface level and get the 10 moons you needed to move on and out of that stage, but most players are going to sit there, I mean, you're going to spend hours, and I think I spent hours and hours just in the Sand Kingdom alone. I think that's the one I probably worked <laughs> on the most. I got most of the stuff out of that one level, but yeah, you can spend a lot of time in a single level and then run into those specific movesets 20, 30 times throughout. Well, we should talk a little bit about uh, the various levels that you're going to be running through in this game because there, uh, there are definitely standouts, I would say. Like, not all of them are as strong as the others, but you go to a lot of really interesting places in this, and it highlights another sort of core theme to me for this game, which is uh, the joy of travel. Uh, in the time uh, that we're recording this right now, no one is getting to experience this particular joy, unfortunately. But... Um, it was kind of fun to play this game and get the feeling of like a big grand world tour. Um, and I guess uh, maybe we could all just talk a little about like kingdoms we thought were good or bad and, and reasons why. And I guess I'll kick off with the Cascade Kingdom, which is the second kingdom you visit, but the first like proper place, uh, Fossil Falls. It's got, you know, really kick-ass uh, adventurous music. It has the T-Rex capture that um, is iconic and... It's beautiful. It's just uh, it's a fun way to kick off the game. I really liked, well, I mean, I think I said it a minute ago, but I really liked the Sand Kingdom. And then I really liked Bowser's Kingdom, too. It was almost like a mm. ancient China kind of thing. I, I love 
I don't know. It had some cool puzzles in there, and the music was really cool. And I thought the aesthetic was cool. Like, you had the fireworks going off in the background the whole time. Yeah, that was a real fun level, too. Um, I think my favorite was definitely the Metro Kingdom, the New York City-esque. Uh, New Donk City, baby. New I, Donk City. I, I have to say, this is definitely my favorite level, too. I thought it was Wooded Kingdom, Steam Gardens, which had dope music, probably some of my favorite music in the game, but... You're right, Josh. Metro City, for me, is the crown jewel of this game. It's pro- arguably the biggest, maybe not like in sheer space, but in sort of density and number of interesting things. It is just incredible. It had a lot of throwback stuff, too, to, to uh, old Donkey Kong in there, too, I believe, which was Mario's you know original debut. Yeah, they, they have this awesome sequence, um, a traditional festival, where they show Mario going to take down DK in the traditional, like, uh, running on steel girders and jumping over flaming barrels style, you know, throwback to the original Donkey Kong. It is, um, it's a complete joy to play. Like it is, uh, it, if you, you can't help but smile while you hear uh, the iconic theme song of the game, Jump Up Superstar, playing in the background as you're going to take out DK in a traditional Metro Kingdom festival. Here we go, off the rails, but you know it's time to raise our sails. It's freedom like you never Now, I think that Pauline, the mayor, is actually supposed to be the hero or the uh, damsel in distress from Donkey Kong. Am I right about that? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. And uh, they do a lot of callbacks like that, but that's definitely the most standout one. And she's sort of like the the main, another main character in, in this game. She starts to appear in other places like if you get the moon kingdom she reappears again like she's a, a mover in the shaker in the mario world it seems um but you know i, I don't want to like paint this game with a completely rose tinted glasses there were plenty of kingdoms that sort of fell a little flat for me the first time and you know on a playthrough too like the late kingdom ugh. Mm-hmm. what about lunch kingdom worst name ever <laughs> what <laughs> I I thought Luncheon Kingdom, like, silly name, sure. Uh, as a concept, completely bonkers off the wall. But Mario's always been about weird, like, semi-drug trippy things. Yeah, and it was the acid honest, trip for sure. Yeah, it's it's definitely the acid trip level in the game. Like, I think um, Liz came down and saw me playing that level and was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> I'm in a, I'm in a bubble, bubble gum volcano making soup with some <laughs> weird bird. What, what's weird about this? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> no, no, totally normal. Um Oh, and that brings me back to one thing that we should we should probably talk about because each level does sort of have like a progression to it, right? Like when you first show up, there's something screwed up because Bowser and the rabbit people that he hired to plan his wedding have just you know come through and like screwed everything up and tried to steal like the local treasure or something like that, and it sets up um, a boss fight in the area. And usually, from my perspective, the level specific boss fights were pretty good. But the rabbit boss fights, I, I didn't love them. I thought they were kind of like repetitive, and by the end of the game, they were boring. But that might just be my getting through Dark Side of the Moon talking. Yeah, uh, I feel like they showed off interesting mechanics, but there wasn't necessarily anything tying those bosses to the level. Like, there wasn't uh, the use of the mechanics you got in that level, with some exceptions. Like in Bowser Kingdom, you use the woodpecker bird whatever it's called to attack their giant robot but most of the time it's just you versus 
random rabbit boss. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, the level-specific bosses, like, I'm thinking of, like, the knuckle attack big stone guy in the desert. Um, he had basically, you made use of the traversal mechanic of the bullet bill to fight him, right? That was a good sort of, you know, callback to within that level. And in the Wooded Kingdom, you fight Torque Drift, the big UFO thing, with the the spring or the extendable leg onion guy. And they, like I said, the, like we were saying, the level-specific bosses are where the, the bosses shine. And yeah, the rabbit ones kind of felt like placeholders to me. Yeah, they just kind of showed up at the end, had nothing to do with the level. But I, be, I gotta be honest, I mean, still, I'm likening this back to the days of Super Mario 64. These bosses were pretty good. Yeah, if you're comparing, like, 20 years later, you're right. Obviously, it's unfair to say that there hasn't been much innovation since then. I mean, Mario's gone through a lot of evolution since then, but I think this game really showcases just how far it's come, putting it back into a similar format with all of these new bells and whistles. Yep. I will say that I didn't hate swimming in this Mario game. Mm. Yeah, everybody's hated, uh, what is it, the, the water levels that everybody hates. Dire, dire docks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a dire, dire level. Um, but yeah, I don't know. At, at the same time, both of the, well, the Lake Kingdom, at least in this game, I didn't love. The Seaside Kingdom, Bubble Lane or whatever, I thought was pretty fun. Uh, those like octopi, or the... The octopi guys that you used to traverse in that one that you could capture and sort of jet around were super fun. Yeah, I got one too. Mm-hmm. It is worth mentioning that uh, they pulled the traditional Mario trope of uh, making sure they got all of the must-see types of levels in there. Yeah, you got your, your grass world, desert world, water world, forest world, ice, fire, and then Bowser's castle. Like... It's kind of exactly Mario 3 all over again. But, you know... With extras. They did a nice thing with <laughs> Bowser's Castle there. Yeah, they, they definitely added some extras in there. Like you said, Clint, you got uh, a few... The Metro Kingdom and the Luncheon. Just sort of some off-the-wall stuff. And the moon, also. should you ever choose to go there. Yeah, so... But I did like Bowser's Castle again, like Josh was saying. It's not just like this big, dirty, dark dungeon like it is in the other games. Oh, mm-hmm. do we see a haunted level? Or did they just skip that? Like, go by Luigi's Mansion. I think Bonneton was the haunted level. Oh, yeah. there's. I guess there's, like, hat ghosts and all that. Sure. But, yeah, like, I, I guess they made it a brighter, more interesting thing than, than Bowser's Castles of Past. Like, it was just, yeah. It was, everything in this game was bright and cheery. There was nothing, like, dark and dreary at all. It was the jazzy Metro City music. Yeah. <laughs> just on a large scale. If Doom was metal, this was jazzy Metro City. Yeah, it's it's like show tunes in aesthetic, kind of. Yeah, if it doesn't make you smile, it doesn't go into this game. That was pretty much it. I'm thinking back to like the ghost world in or the the haunted house in Mario 64 with the insanely scary piano that comes to life and tries to eat you. Like um, King Boo. this game yeah. is definitely a lot uh, a lot less existentially terrifying, except for the <laughs> capture mechanic. The, the capture mechanic is it's existentially terrifying. Its own little brand of fridge horror. Only if you think about it, Mario's possessing people. No big deal. Let's not think about this too much. 
<laughs> <laughs> I did also find it kind of funny that um, in the Metro Kingdom, like, there's clearly just normal humans there, and then Mario is like some sort of weird homunculus next to them. <laughs> He's like half their size and like twice their width. He's just and a nobody weird looks twice dude. at him. They're just like, yes, this is a normal human being. <laughs> Now, one thing I did really enjoy about the Metro Kingdom was the verticality of it, um, where you got to navigate going up and down as much as you navigated going kind of horizontally. And not to say there haven't been, like, mountainous Mario levels before, but not to the same degree that you got in a skyscraper-filled city. Yeah, that's definitely true. And I'm thinking about like the Wooded Kingdom as well, an extremely vertical level. In fact, it has an entire like lower area that is separate, the Deep Forest. And I think the best levels in this game are the ones that showcase verticality, like the Metro Kingdom and the Wooded Kingdom, to my to my mind at least. Um, and the Sand the Sand Kingdom also has a, a lot of vertical aspects. Now that I mention it, even though it's very vast compared to those other two. So let's talk a bit about the 2D sections that you go in and sort of the retro callbacks that this game has. Those are sweet. I really like that. That was like a big callback. Again, this game is not just for... It's for the new gamer. That's This is their first Mario game, but it's also definitely tipping a cap to the guys that have been playing Mario for the last 30 years. Totally. Like when I first get into, I think that the first time this made like a really big appearance is the Sand Kingdom. Like when you're making your way up the side of a pyramid and all of a sudden you go in a pipe and you pop out as 2D Mario on the side of the wall, making his way like through sort of a, you know, a 2D Mario level to climb up the side of the pyramid. It like shows that it's really willing to pull in mechanics and, you know, gameplay feel from the the origins of Mario right alongside the newest and brightest stuff that they have to offer too. They learned this trick from a, a DS game, a Zelda game. I can't remember the name of it, but they had a... Link Between Worlds, right? Yeah, they would switch randomly between the 3D and, and the 2D, and I think they definitely brought that experience and brought it into this game. And it worked. Totally worked for me. Like I, I really enjoyed those 2D sections as sort of a, a break from the, the 3D, and they, they did kind of make them mechanically interesting and tricky too like the platforming in there was good 2d platforming you know it was traditional mario 2d platforming of course it was good yeah, it follows the theme of everything else like they don't let you do anything for too long they're always changing something on you you're always you're you're entering you're you're using a new move set you're doing a new thing you're seeing a new place like they're never leaving you doing the same thing for longer than a few minutes i think one of my favorite things about those 2d sections was that they were existing in the 3d world like uh with a giant upside-down pyramid, you would go around the sides of the pyramid and you'd see that. You could e easily imagine a game where they go to a separate screen to do those little 2D sections, which, you know, the mechanics would have been the same, but I don't think it would have been as charming as it was. It's really kind of awesome how it how seamless it was. And, you know, when you jumped out the top of one of those 2D sections, 3D Mario just pops back into existence and you're right there on top of the, the wall you were climbing up in 2D. Um it was it was very smooth and really like blended the two together extremely well. So once you do eventually catch up to Bowser in the Moon Kingdom, which you know uh, the last thing you do when you're traveling all around the world is decide to leave the world, I guess. And uh, you find him. He's about to marry Peach. You confront him. You have an epic escape sequence where there's some. Uh, another vocal track, which is another first for this game, is vocal music inclusion. 
and then um, the game ends and Peach stands up Mario on the moon and Bowser and she's just like I'm gonna go do this for myself now <laughs> what an ice queen goodness she's just like no matter how many times Mario saves her she just leaves him standing there hey hat in hand she, I, I do kind of like that you know both Mario and Bowser are both like you know forcing their own like bouquets of flowers on her and she's like fuck this noise I'm out of here <laughs> and goes on a, a world tour with uh, her little tiara friend and uh, you know it's a, it's a good it's a positive message like hey maybe don't be uh, a forceful insisting douche <laughs> don't white knight me Mario I don't need your help <laughs> <laughs> yeah ladies be doing it for themselves um, but no it's it's a cool ending and then basically that prompts the whole next phase of the game where uh, pieces from the moon fall back down to the world that you've just been exploring and if you go back to any of the original levels and find this silver square it explodes and adds a bunch of new challenges and moons to the level that you had already been through completely recontextualizing the space that you just spent the last like maybe 15-ish hours exploring. I don't know if I'd go as far as a complete retextualization. Well, to it me, adds it felt a like lot it, to me. Yeah, It adds more stars. It adds more things to do. Um, yeah. yeah, that's fair. Like seven or eightfold. Like, again, it takes 150 stars to beat this game. To truly beat it, you're in the 800s somewhere. Like, there's a lot to be added to Endgame here. Again, accessibility. Yes, this can be done by someone who only has a few hours to beat the game, but also, if you just have 100 hours, we got you covered there, too. I, I did like how little they gated the ability to move on in this game. Like you said, 150 to win pretty much means, like, you don't have to spend time looking for moons in a level you don't like. And to me, that basically meant I got out of the Lake Kingdom as soon as I possibly could and moved on to and spent a lot more time in the worlds that I liked, like Metro Kingdom and Sand Kingdom and Wooded Kingdom. And I think allowing the player to sort of choose where they invest their time and play, like, it's it's a stroke of genius because it's not prescriptive. Uh, don't tell me how to have fun with my game. Nintendo is saying... You do you. Yeah, here's a lot of stuff. Pick what you want. I think that's how I kind of played it, too. Like I said, I got to about 300 uh, moons by the time I was done, and I think I just picked, like, three or four of my favorite um, levels, and I went back to those, and I didn't really go back and do the rest yet. And I don't know that I will. I had plenty of fun just there, and that was that was good. Yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely not a game that's trying to tell you, like, how and when to be done with it. It's just one of those games that, you know, some people... I, I like how it does give you, like, a very solid first ending there. But I, I guess if there's one weakness to this approach, it's that it doesn't have like a clear point at which it tells you to put it down unless you've gotten all, you know, 800 moons, which is a little too tall of an order for most people. Yeah, the one thing I did really love about it, though, is once you got enough moons to beat it, you got to go back to Peach's Castle, like the original mm -hmm. from Super Mario 64. Same music, same setting, and it was just such... I can't even explain how much of a nostalgia trip that was for me to go back there. Because they, even when you go back there, it's not moons anymore, it's stars. They preserved yeah. <laughs> the way it was way back when, and for me that was so awesome to go back there. That was cool. That was a nice nostalgia trip. The unlocking of Peach's Castle was a really cool, like, full circle to the thing. I don't know if you noticed this, but they actually, when it unlocks, they put it at the very beginning of the level select uh, instead of the end, sort of showing that's like, this is where it all actually started. Uh, in the Mushroom Kingdom. And 
that level is really cool for multiple reasons because it includes sort of like a built-in achievement system where Toadette will give you moons or stars rather based on uh, things you've done like collecting items of clothing or uh, jumping, you know, 10,000 times or something crazy like that. Um, and it also has reconfigured versions of all of the bosses in the game. So all of those very creative level bosses that we mentioned, they're all back in like uh, a portrait in the Mushroom Kingdom that you could go and face a new and more difficult version of that boss. Jumping into the paintings, just like the old school. Yeah. I did like that you could get the costume, the hat and the um, the hat and the suit for Mario that was like the low poly version <laughs> of it in the Nintendo 64. Yeah, and, and actually all, all this stuff, like he had like a thousand different outfits he, he could try on. Like this is the first Mario game where... Shoot, if I wanted to be an astronaut Mario, cool. If I wanted to be zombie Mario, great. If I wanted to be, you know, polygon Mario, awesome. There's stuff for every level. Now, I know you guys had a had a uniform that you used for most of the game. I know I did. Yep. Um, my, my go-to Mario outfit was Pilot Mario with a cowboy hat. Nice adventure. <laughs> <laughs> I was Boxer's Mario with a backwards hat. <laughs> sort of like a bachelor mario you look like you knew how to have fun i don't know <laughs> i think i was mostly just boring mario like i thought the costumes were a nice little like little point over here uh fun little thing i like that they had 2d versions of all the costumes as well um but mostly i was just the good old familiar overalls and red hat the classic nothing wrong with that can't be, he can't beat a classic but um yeah, the they did actually build those um, those outfits into getting moons. Uh, every level, if you bought the outfit from that level, you could use it to acquire access to a special room where you could get an additional moon or two, which was um, neat, but also kind of screwed me at points because I wasted all my level-specific currency, which is another thing we did not yet mention. There's level-specific currency. But I wasted it all on like a decal for my ship instead of buying the outfit, and then locked myself out of a moon because I couldn't find the rest of the currency. I didn't know the stickers were for your ship. I was like, why would you buy this crap? And then I didn't realize, (laughs) like, you're you're slapping stickers on the side of your ship like you slap stickers on the side of your luggage. Like, that was, again, more of the same theme of you're going on a trip. Like, it was just super cool. Like, you get all the little, uh, what is it, memorabilia from every place you've been. I don't know. It was neat. Yeah, yeah, there's, like, usually a piece or two of memorabilia plus the sticker. And by the end of the thing like i I had made that my goal was like i want all these stickers i'm gonna have the dopest uh little (laughs) odyssey ship ship. yeah it's worth mentioning that's how the game gets its name you have a hat ship called the odyssey that you're traveling around the world and it's sort of like an airship shaped like a hat um super aerodynamic yeah (laughs) very aerodynamic yes so Um, i would say that going off of that uh the level specific currency where you buy an outfit that gets you into a room where you get a star or there's uh, other shops where you just straight up buy stars. I felt like there were far too many moons in this game. Like I appreciate the bite-sized nature of it. It plays well into the Switch's hardware and kind of game design philosophy. Um, I like that it doesn't start you back at the beginning of the level each time you do a star. Uh, But I also feel like this game kind of missed out on some of the more intentional design platforming that I've come to associate Mario with. It did have difficult parts to it, um, especially some of those moon pipes were not easy platforming by any means, but also just the sheer number of stars um, led to some that were 
not even fun to get. I'm thinking back to the Bonneton Kingdom. After you do hit the moon rock, there's one star you can get in the far corner of the map where you just turn into the flying Goomba and you <laughs> fly out. You get the star. You get back. There's no scenery. There's no interesting thing that's happening. Or like at the store where I buy a star. Congratulations, you have 100 coins. <laughs> I mean, if there's 850 yeah. of them, they can't all be the best thing ever. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I, I'm, I'm with you. They can be, some of them can be very anticlimactic. I'm thinking specifically of two in the Sand Kingdom that are in two different flower boxes that are literally next to each other. Uh, you just hit one, it opens up, there's a moon. You hit the other, you open it up, there's a moon. Um, like, you can get probably... Like if you could, you can't even imagine getting moon or stars at this type of clip in Super Mario sixty four unless you were some kind of insane speedrunner. Right. But in this game, like they come very fast. You can get multi moons. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you get three moons at once. <laughs> or like you beat a boss that deserves three. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I agree. Like with the the sheer volume that they had in this game they obviously couldn't put the time and care into all of them that you would see in like one of 120 back in the 64 era and i think that the volume can almost wash out some of the good ones as well uh just that there's so many to get um you don't necessarily know when you're heading off to a location on the map you know there's a star there or you know there's a moon there but you don't know if it's going to be oh, you just have to fly here and hit a box, or oh, you fly here and here's a fun platforming challenge. I feel like if this game tightened up the moon hunting later on with just more difficult uh, moons at that point, I would have gone through the post-game more. I think this fits, again, the flip side of this is the accessibility thing again. So you want to get to a certain number, and you run into one that really just doesn't fit your play style, or this is just too hard for you. The good news is there's, you know... Turn around. There's 50 more in the vicinity. You can do other ones. You don't have to do that one. Only the hardcore gamer is going to go after all 850. And honestly, even to get to the craziest ending, you only need the 500. So I think it does leave room for the, I just don't have any shits to give about this specific challenge, or I don't like this particular thing. Pass. Next thing. No big deal. I also like the fact that they have two separate and pretty good hint systems built into the game. They have Toad, who will tell you exactly where a moon is located, and they have the Parrot, who will just tell you the name of the moon um, so that you can try and puzzle it out yourself. So if you're interested in trying to track down all the moons in a given world because you like being there, they have something there to sort of help you out with it. Yep. Nobody likes Toad, but he was at least minorly helpful this time around. <laughs> Toad's, Toad's fine. Leave Toad alone. <laughs> <laughs> I specifically like Captain Toad, who made an appearance in this uh, oh, game. Oh, God, they tried to make him badass. <sighs> yeah, no, they were like, oh, it's Captain Toad. Well, he has his own game, Captain Toad's Treasure Tracker. Good Lord. This is why Peach keeps getting captured, because <laughs> this is who's in charge of her security detail. He's an idiot. <laughs> Yeah, it, it it's like a little Indiana Jones styled toad, but he is, uh, you know, he's still toad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, as you're visiting all the various worlds and you know traveling around in the Odyssey on your Grand World tour you are subjected to some of the truly great songs in the Super Mario 
canon uh, from my perspective. Uh, the ones that stuck out to me, I think I already mentioned, were the Wooded Kingdom, that's sort of a badass surf rock theme. Yeah, I don't think there was a single song that sucked in the entire game, and they've got hundreds of songs. The other cool thing that you could do is once you collected songs, you could, if there was like, let's say you really love that song from the Wooded Kingdom, and you get to Sand Kingdom, you're like, I don't like this song, which most people wouldn't say, because every music Every piece of music in here was good. You could pick your own soundtrack as you went. Yeah, and that also actually uh, came back into another way to get moons. If you found a toad listening to headphones out in the world, uh, you they would ask uh, for a specific track to be played, and he'd be like, "I want to hear something adventurous." And you know, you go through your track list and choose like fossil um, fossil falls because it's an adventurous theme, and they give you a moon for that. Um, it's it's neat, and yeah, they're they're clearly aware that they have a banger soundtrack on their hands, and they're going to make use of it wherever they can. The level of polish is insane on this game, and, and it's not lost on the soundtrack at all. Yeah, I mentioned earlier on that this is also the first game to feature, or first Mario game rather, to feature vocal themes, and you know. St- um, Jump Up Superstar was the the sort of main headliner one, but there's also one at the very end when you're escaping the moon that comes in. And that track, you know, it does sound like it's plucked right out of a mid-2000s Sonic game, but it's very catchy. It was good. (laughs) It was cheesy, but it was good. It's like, that's the thing, like, Mario can't be taken too seriously, and they know it, so they just lean into it, and it's all good. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, every, every song they used is kind of pitch perfect for the moment that it was in even the, the vocal tracks which you know normally i'm not a huge like vocal tracks and games guy like that doesn't always work for me but it did here and that's that's something you know um koji kondo uh, who has done the soundtracks to most mario games was only he was involved with this one but i think he wasn't even the main composer so it's encouraging to me that they clearly have a bench of really solid talent that they're bringing up in the wake of you know Shigeru Miyamoto and Koji Kondo who were sort of the director and composers for all the old games yeah they captured the spirit even though they moved the creative uh I guess direction on onto a new set of people and, that, and that's good to see Nintendo's not going to lose it just because the the original directors aren't there anymore I mean they're there but they don't have their hand on the day-to-day so it's good to see that they yeah. captured it and they can and they can bring that about again yeah, that, that is, is super encouraging. And, you know, if this is an indication uh, for what's to come, I think the Nintendo spirit, the nostalgia, and, you know, the driving the industry forward, even if it's in ways that aren't necessarily um, the ways you would normally expect, is intact. Yeah, they never do. They're always the odd man out. They do their own thing. And we're better for it. All right, uh, with that, why don't we jump into some three-word reviews? All right, my three-word review is Donk City Forever. Um, The unbridled joy of making your way through new Donk City was, for me, a revelation in 3D platforming. It's retrospective, it's introspective, and it's overall extremely joyful and interesting while still being self-referential to the classic material from over 30 years of, you know, video gaming. Uh, The scene in New Donk City perfectly captures what the game is all about. It's a celebration of Mario, it's a celebration of local traditions and customs, and it's a celebration of the world and how awesome it is. It gives me hope that one day we'll be back out and ready to experience the world like we did in Mario Odyssey again, um, the way it's meant to be experienced. Alright, my three-word review for this game was Captivating Cruise Ship. 
uh, captivating because, of course, you're wearing the hats and you're literally taking over the minds of your enemies. Let that sink in for a moment. Um, but then besides that, you're also taking this voyage around the world. Um, you're seeing all these exotic locales um, and experiencing the different culture. But at the same time, I feel like it could be deeper. I haven't been on a cruise ship myself, uh, so my stereotype of it is that people on cruise ships typically go to more touristy, resorty areas of wherever they go. Uh, you know, they go, they buy an outfit, they do a little dance with a guitar, and then they're back and on to the next one. And kind of like... I feel like that doesn't capture the travel experience I'm looking for. I also wish that this game, although I really like the design directions it went, I thought it was a very, it was a new direction in terms of kind of like the bite-sized platforming bits. I wish there was deeper platforming for me. Cool. My review is still got it. So for me, Super Mario uh, 64 holds a super close place in my heart because that was my first video game that I was that I ever owned as a kid. I was 10 years old, I got my first system, the N64, and I played that game so much. And the coolest thing about playing this game is, like I said, I skipped uh, Galaxy 1 and 2 and Sunshine, but this was like riding a bike. It was like, it was so close to what I remember from when I was a kid, getting to play it uh, now as an adult. And what was really cool is I started playing this game uh, when Carson was being born. So I started a new game in the hospital I played with him, you know, sitting on my chest. When he came home, we were playing together. He'd sit on he'd sit on my chest, and we we play a little bit of Mario every time. He'd pass out, and I play a little bit more. I can't wait to share this <laughs> with the next generation of gamers. Uh, so I really, I don't know. This is a special moment I get to share with my son, and I hope that he gets to grow up and play Mario, and that it's just as cool ten years from now as it was back when I was ten. Uh, I think if Nintendo's track record is any indication, I think. Carson and his generation are in for a lot more fun as well. So can't wait to see what it brings. Um, next month's game is Chrono Trigger. We'll be traveling again, but this time through time. Uh, JRPG from 1995. It's going to be coming out right around Chrono Trigger's 25th anniversary, which was earlier this year. So join us for a replay of this retro masterpiece. And for Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Kalecki. And I'm Clint Jones. Take care, and the princess is in another castle. So I was going to mention uh, when we were talking about this is that Mario is having a big anniversary this year. It's 35, actually. Whoa. He is, I was going to say, damn, I almost said he is old. I am 34, so <laughs> not great. All right, You're old. Yeah, okay. All right, sad realization there. We'll move past that. All right, anyway, uh, as part of this uh, anniversary celebration, Nintendo is re-releasing and remastering a whole bunch of his previous stuff, and that's going to be Sunshine. Is that confirmed? Yes, Galaxy. And Super Mario 64, and I am willing to bet that because of how much they rebuilt in Odyssey already, that it's going to look like we saw that Mushroom Kingdom. Mm. How amazing would it be mm. to go back to Super Mario 64 and have it look like Super Mario Odyssey? That'd be pretty cool. I don't. Do you think they'll do a remaster though, or just re-release those in their original? They form? said remaster. 
They, they, they're already talking about it. They're going to release it all these throughout the year, I guess. Super cool. Interesting. That's great. You know, Mario, as much as this game, like, was a celebration of Mario, I think Mario deserves even more celebration. I agree. I'm here for it. And, Let's bring it And up. I missed, like I said, I missed Sunshine, and I missed uh, the Galaxy games, and let's be honest, who has a freaking Wii U? Uh, according to sales numbers, not that many people, so let's <laughs> let's get a chance for the, for the people that bought a Switch, which I think more people own a Switch than almost any other gaming console right now, so let's get some of those old bangers back out and get them on something that people can play on today. What a venerable pair. (laughs) Hey, I didn't use the word once, so I'm going to count that as a win. A venerable recontextualization, if you will. Tangentially, I would say. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so I'd like to redo my three-word review. Uh, It is tangential, (laughs) tangential, venerable recontextualization. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. You know what the I NPR version of our of our <laughs> three word reviews. <laughs> I want to point out that for once we did actually have a fun filled romp, and you didn't call it a fun filled romp. Yeah, what the hell? I, I missed my chance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so many regrets. I'm gonna have to go back and re-record this whole thing. Now. Yeah. <laughs> Tangentially venerable, fun filled romp. There you go.